Okay, well, good morning, church. And uh, it's always a joy to be in the house of God. Hallelujah. If you could turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. All right, praise the Lord. Now, it was was calm last week. They kind of uh, said something that inspired me. Um, to preach what I want to preach this morning from John's Gospel in chapter 13. And what uh, we realise is that God has his way of teaching us things in life. He has his ways in which he brings us through certain trials and tribulations and testings in which he moulds us and shapes us for his greater purpose and plan for our lives and to mould us into the, his image. And so, especially when we want to be involved in the work of God, to be involved in the work of the ministry, to be about the Lord's business, we are to be meet for the Master's use. God wants to shape us, obviously, in a certain way. And um, uh, it was Colm that said this statement last week, you'll probably reflect upon it, remember it when I say it, but he said... Uh, before you lead, you must learn to, to serve. Before you lead, you must learn to serve. And I'd already had a number of thoughts floating around in my head in very previous weeks and, uh, and then I knew then that I was going to kind of go down this path with you this morning because I can testify firsthand that God has had to teach me a few lessons, especially in relation to ministry and serving in his kingdom. But one of the things that I've learned over the years as a pastor is that there can be individuals uh, and peoples in the course of the ministry that can cause great pain and suffering. As said, it just comes, it's part of the turf, as they say, and uh, you know, you serve, you teach, you give your time, you sacrifice, and uh, unfortunately there's a reality to life and sometimes people can let you down. Sometimes people fail. Um, sometimes people just blatantly, flat out, turn against you. And this is the nature of ministry. This is the nature of serving in the kingdom of God. And so, it's in light of these things that uh, I, myself personally, found myself in a situation at one point of time in which uh, I was dealing with an individual who had kind of come into this category and this had been over a prolonged period and, uh, you know, you feel like you, sometimes you go around in circus as you kind of minister to individuals. But I remember at, at this particular point, I had reached a point of grief and frustration in that moment. And so, uh, having felt like I'd given so much and yet it had, you know, at that point of time it would have appeared to have uh, fallen flat. And so, I went to the Lord in prayer and I remember just kind of, pouring out my anguish and frustration and I was just laying it out to God in prayer and as I was just pouring out my heart, God spoke to me. It was just one of those moments where the word of the Lord just came, dropped into my spirit and it just got my attention and the words were these, a servant is not greater than his master. And I've got to tell you, it stopped me in my tracks and my mind was completely consumed as the Lord began to kind of open my understanding further 
in relation to the the experience that I was enduring and I began to taste a little bit of what God feels, of the sufferings of Christ and that dimension and dynamic of ministry. And let me say, this is not something that you learn in a textbook. This is not something that's, uh, as we, even as we talk about it this morning, that's just an intellectual concept. There is a reality. Isn't it amazing? Eh? We can read the Bible and we can understand certain scriptures, but it's until you experience something and then that scripture comes to you in your experience that it makes a whole, has a whole new meaning to it because you identify with it in such a real and personal way. And that's how it was for me at that moment of time. And so I uh, began to learn this truth of ministry and I came to understand this greater lesson of serving in the kingdom of God and I realised, you know what? A servant is not greater than his master and I began to see what it means to, to suffer, to be long-suffering, to sacrifice and exactly that is the call of God to the work of the ministry. And so let's read our text. I want to look at this issue of service. In John's Gospel, it's a pretty uh, well-known portion of text, but let's read in, in chapter 13, verse 1. We'll go down to verse 17. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he would or should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And suffer being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which uh, he had or he was um, in which which he was girded, and he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, "Lord, uh, are you washing my feet?" Uh, then he, um, uh, Jesus answered and said to him, "What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this." And Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I do not wash you, you have no part with me." Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, or not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you do these things, blessed, uh, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so here we have a familiar portion of scripture in the Bible, yet it is filled with profound truth 
that has uh, great applications to our lives, especially in the context of, uh, in this instance, as, our, as we relate to one another, but there's also greater truths that apply externally to that as well. But see, you can read this text and, uh, and sometimes there are those that think of it only in literal terms. You know, isn't it funny that the, um, the Catholic Church over the years, I think it was Pope John Paul, he had that time where he got, you know, they, Christmas time comes so they've got to show how pious they are and, you know, so they get some pe- people sitting there and the Pope goes and washes their feet in a literal sense. But, you know, but, but he's the big head honcho, you know what I'm saying? And so, but um, that's not what the Scripture is trying to teach us. That's not the lesson that, that Jesus and the Scriptures giving us. Yes, there's a literal aspect to it, but the, the whole meaning goes way far beyond uh, doing some kind of an act like that to try and re- recreate what Jesus was teaching. It goes a lot deeper. And uh, what we see is that Jesus is first and foremost the perfect example of what it is that he is teaching us. He's not just one that tells us what to do, he's the one that shows us what to do and tells us what to do. It's always the example that comes first with Christ and so you see that evident and, uh, and identify that within his life. In verse 15 and 16 of the text he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And so what he's saying is what you see in me, this is what you will embrace and this is what you will need to practice because a servant's not greater than his master. And if I, the master, have come to this place, then, then you too will likewise walk in the same footsteps. See, isn't it interesting that Jesus would condescend to such a level? You see, Islam could never comprehend such a concept of Christ, such a concept of God. You know, the whole emphasis is submission, you know, Allah and and everyone just bows and yet this whole concept of Christ is reversed in which he becomes the servant, in which he becomes the slave, as we'll see, and in which uh, he gives of himself in such a way to wash the disciples' feet and to set us an example of how we are to serve one another and how we are to go, to go about the work of the ministry. See, it's a difficult concept for people to grasp. And unless it's revealed by the Lord, many people don't understand it at all. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we've already touched upon this this morning in, our, in, in emphasis of song and our prayers that we've offered to the Lord. But Jesus said, For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so this is the whole idea. Also, Scripture says that he has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so the emphasis of Christ's ministry is he has come to serve. He has come to reach out. He has come to save, deliver and heal. But the posture in which that comes is through servanthood. You find this in Philippians chapter 2 where this emphasis is made in further uh, detail where it says in verse 5 of chapter 2 in Philippians, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. You see, this concept is profound, church. Christ, who is God Almighty, God has come down from heaven in the form of a man and he has taken such a lowly place and he puts aside that aspect of, of his divine nature and he takes, the Bible says, the form of a bond servant. This is the Greek word doulos and literally means a slave. He takes this posture, he takes this disposition of, of a slave or a bond servant in order to become like us, in order to save us, in order to redeem us to himself. And this is the the nature of the love of God to the point where the scripture says that he was being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. To such a point of sacrifice did that service, did that uh, 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 ministry go to, to the point of death in which he laid down his life. See, that is is an awesome thing to consider. And what we find in the example of Jesus Christ, what we find in his life is there is a principle of humility, there is a principle of suffering, there is a principle of sacrifice and not only is it, do we know it as principles but we see it as the living example of Jesus Christ himself. And it's expressed over and over and over again and ultimately it finds its culmination in the cross and he's laying down his life. There is no greater love than to lay down your life. The ultimate sacrifice of Christ in giving himself for our sins. And this is what uh, Brother Sam was pointing at today when he played that song where we understand that we have those um, uh, uh, chapters in the prophet of Isaiah that we understand to be the, that regard the suffering servant. The suffering servant. And he was despised and rejected by men. And yet uh, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and rejected. He was, as uh, Sam pointed out, considered illegitimate. And yet in taking that place of a bondservant, he still gave himself to the point of death. We humanly can't do that. That's contrary to logic. It's contrary to natural reason to do such a thing. But not in the mind of God, not according to the love of God, not according to the truth of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, as a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And the whole picture here is of a suffering servant, the master. And we know he went to the cross as such. And he suffered and, he, and, he sat, and then he offered himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. And all that time, the Bible says, even as he hung upon that cross, he said I could, uh, he could have called down 12 legions of angels and just wiped everyone out. He could have just, at a moment of time, said that's enough and just pronounced the judgment. And yet... He cries out from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, we're talking about a living example of somebody who went to such an extreme to wash someone's feet, the feet of humanity. 
and, uh, and this is the spirit of Christ. This is the spirit of ministry. This is the spirit of service that we are called to in the kingdom of God. And uh, that's why when Jesus took his 12 disciples and he said, you know what, for three years you're going to live with me and I'm going to teach you a few lessons because these concepts were foreign to them. And so he, uh, uh, you know, the story James and John, he goes to the Samaritan village, they reject him. So James and John said, well, let's just call down fire from heaven and we'll zap these folks. But Jesus turns to them and he says, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. Because that is not the Spirit of God. That is not the Spirit of Christ. And so in doing that, Jesus is trying to teach them, he's trying to show them uh, who he is uh, and what his purpose is. Uh, I have not come to destroy men's lives, I have come to save men's lives. That's not to cast aside the issue of judgment. That's not to cast aside God's wrath and God's justice and God's holiness. Obviously, there is a balance here. There's two sides to the coin. There are various tensions that hold all this up. But this is a, uh, one of those sides. This is one of these truths that we must understand and take into consideration. You know, getting back to Mark's words in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came has not come to be served but, uh, uh, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The context, uh, the interesting context of that scripture, if you take the time to look at it, is you, you find the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest. They're arguing who's going to be the, the, the greatest. You see, because the disciples had a flawed understanding of greatness. They had a flawed understanding of leadership. They had a flawed understanding of service in the kingdom of God and their concept was more position and power. That's why James and John said, uh, you know, after uh, mum said, come on, let's, <laughs> let's go and ask Jesus. And so, you know, mum's uh, always got the best interests, haven't they? And so... And so James and John go there and they say, um, Jesus, you know, we want to sit one at your right hand and one at your left because their concept is, is, is far greater. And Jesus says, uh, you don't even know what you're asking. Are you prepared to be baptised with the same baptism that I'm about to be? Yeah, but they'd have no idea what he's talking about. He goes, yeah, you're right, you will be, but you don't know what it is. It's not that. It's not going to be position and power. That'll come later. But now it's going to be suffering. That's the baptism. You'll find out what it means. And they did, didn't they? But God had moulded them and shaped them for his greater purpose. But it's interesting when you look at James and John, he, God, uh, Jesus took these men and he taught them and he showed them and he, he moulded them for his greater purpose. And we see that so uh, exemplified within the scriptures later on. But... The world's concepts of leadership are in direct contrast to the principles of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. That's why the world can't understand Christ. That's why Muslims can't understand the cross. They can't understand suffering. They can't understand such humiliation. It's just foreign. It's God. It can't, can't be. God is almighty. He's got all authority. That is utter weakness. And God's not weak. But he's meek. Mark 10 verse 42, looking further at this context, Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know, those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the concept of the world. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And that word servant there in the Greek means to run errands. It means to be at uh, the, the, the needs of individuals to serve and to minister. And, you know, when you get a phone call and late at night or the middle of the night or whatever the case is, amen, there is a constant giving of oneself to, to meet the needs of individuals. And it says uh, in verse 44, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave. There's that word doulos again, slave this time it's translated rather than bondservant shall be slave of all. Hmm, that's a great place of a position to be in, isn't it? (laughs) And for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, ministry is not a position or an office as such, although it is a posture that is expressed through service and serving one another. And the atmosphere of that service, let me say this, is suffering, long-suffering and sacrifice because Jesus in our text as we'll look further in a moment he says a servant is not greater than his master and if that was the way of Christ that will be the way of his people and in that context when you think of that you see the example of Christ you see this emphasis now I want you to just draw your attention to Paul the Apostle because you know the story of Paul the Apostle he's on the road to Damascus and He has that encounter. He's been persecuting the church and doing all those things. And then when he is saved, you know, uh, God appears to Ananias and Ananias is, you know, like, wait a minute, don't you know who this guy is? And, And Jesus speaks to him in Acts 9 verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Gee, that's a great word of prophecy, isn't it? <laughs> You're going to be great in the kingdom of God, Paul, and we consider him great. But look at the nature of that greatness. It's exactly like Christ. It follows the same pattern. Servant is not greater than his master. And this, and you look at Paul the Apostle and you find that his whole life is characterised by service and suffering and sacrifice, external in these persecutions and internal in his, uh, you read Acts and his epistles and the way in which he's dealing with his fellow men, how he's dealing with those that he's led to the Lord and he writes his letters and you get insight into his heart. And he writes words like, of whom I labour again. You know, when he says that, he's not just speaking... Uh, you know, we've got to understand with this word labour, I mean, it, it is encompassing the grief because the, the church, uh, the Galatian church has obviously now counted Paul as an enemy. Now they have rejected him. They have strayed from the truth in that which that he's taught them. And, he's, and you could imagine the immense grief and suffering that he's bearing, the burden of the churches that comes upon him daily, he says. And yet, he says, whom I will labour again until Christ is formed. See, some, the temptation is, oh, I've just had enough. Just let him go. <laughs> I give up. But that's not how it works. 
He says in Philippians chapter 2, isn't it interesting, we just read that portion of text earlier about Christ being humble to the point of death and being a bondservant and as he refers to Christ, he then makes reference to himself in chapter 2 and in verse 17 he says these words, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I will rejoice. And he is rejoicing in the fact that his life is being poured out as a, as a sacrifice and the service of their faith. And he says, I rejoice in that. He says, this is a privilege to suffer for his namesake. And he counts it a joy to be uh, pa- participating, that the Lord counted me faithful by putting me into this ministry, he says. You see, the disciples have absolutely, in our text, you know, if we refer back to where our text is in context, the disciples have no idea of these truths that we're just touching upon. This is totally foreign to them. They don't know what's coming. They don't know what's ahead. Jesus is still teaching them and he's still showing them by his example, but they're going to catch it real fast. This is how it works. You know, there's only two occasions in the Bible where it says a servant is not greater than his master. One is relates to the external form of persecution and rejection. In Matthew chapter 10, when verse 24, where the Bible says a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough that a, a disciple be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Rejection, suffering, persecutions. And so the two times you find the phrase that a servant is not above his master has to do with persecution outwardly and it has to do with service of one another in the, inside the family of God, in the household of God. Because that's where these two things find their expression in the example of Jesus Christ. We have to follow it. Stephen was suffering persecution immensely. He preached and he under the inspiration of God, his speech was seasoned with a lot of salt. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Some could have said you could have at least not put that much salt, Stephen, but he, he said you stiff-necked people, always resisting the Holy Spirit. And he spoke with, a, with an authority and an anointing of God and, the, and they gnashed their teeth at him and they're throwing rocks to kill him and he says, Lord, charge them not with their sin. A servant's not greater than his master. And he's displaying the same love and characteristics of Christ. And this is what we are called to by the grace of God. You see, we struggle at times, as Andrew Murray once said, he said, the lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. A lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. And when you look at our text, as we're going to look at, you'll find that this is exactly the root of Peter's problem. Let's look at our text because if we're going to be a participant with Jesus Christ in the work of the ministry, then we have to learn this lesson that Jesus is, is, is seeking to teach not only the disciples here, but all of us in the scripture. And, some, and, and like I said, we don't all learn it the easy way. Unfortunately, we learn it the hard way. We're like the disciples. We like to think more highly of ourselves maybe, but we're all stupid and silly disciples. We're just sheep. 
And so, like the disciples, how many times did they have that argument? Who was going to be the greatest? How many times did they have to, do you find reference to that in the, in the Gospels? Because they could not grasp these things at this point of time, but yet God was going to set it in place. Actually, in one instance, in Mark chapter 9, where they're disputing with themselves who would be the greatest, uh, Jesus says, oh, the Bible says that Jesus knew what they had been discussing, because they're not going to tell him that, you know. <laughs> And in verse 35, the Bible says, He sat down, called the twelve, and said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last, and of all, and servant of all. That's how it will work. He reiterated this truth over and over again. Now let's go to our text and look at verse 7 of John chapter 13. Because Jesus is now laid aside his garment, he's about to wash the disciples' feet and he's come to Simon Peter. And Peter, in verse 6, is saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. You don't grasp what's going, what, I, what I'm doing, but you will know later. After this, you will see and understand what it is and why I'm doing this. But in verse 8, Peter is still without understanding. He's still not trusting the word of the Lord. And he says, you shall never wash my feet. Because Peter's, con- uh, Peter's concept of being Lord and Master, does not, this act does not fit into that category. I mean, this is an act of utter humiliation. This is what the, uh, the, the, the Gentiles, they wash the, the feet, not the Jews. This is an act of humiliation. This is an act of, uh, uh, of one that demonstrates that, that this is only what slaves do. Slaves do this type of thing. Servants that we have, that's what they're there for, to do that for us. And yet you never, if you get down there to do that, I don't want it. You'll never wash my feet. Never, he says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers him in verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, Jesus is saying, If I cannot minister on this level to you, then you have no part in me, with me, in my plan and in my purpose. You cannot participate in the kingdom of God and the purposes of the kingdom of God if you will not allow me to wash your feet. And so, um, this is something that we have to understand because the Bible talks about being meat for the master's use. The Bible talks about being equipped for every good work. And so, therefore, we have to understand that there is a transition that we all must pass through in the Christian life by which and in which God himself becomes such to you and I. And can I say to you this morning that this has been my experience and I have no doubt has been yours. In which over the course of the years I have found that God has been a servant to me. A slave to me when he could have many a times just pushed me aside. He could have zapped me. You know, when I didn't deserve mercy. When I I didn't deserve his grace. And yet, as David said, your gentleness has made me great. 
I am who I am today as a result of God washing my feet. And as He has done that, and as I've stood there and allowed Him to do that, being utterly humbled before Him and He still ministering to me when I didn't deserve it so, I tell you that has a profound effect upon our person in which we then begin to reflect the Master. Because as we receive grace, it gives us a greater capacity to give that grace and God's mercy and so forth. And so, uh, in, in allowing God to minister to me, it has enabled my capacity to be, to be of service in the kingdom of God and to participate in the kingdom of God, the purposes of God. And so, this is how it works. This is how we learn by the Master himself through the, through the, the real issues of our lives. And in verse 14, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Feet can be quite smelly, can't they? (laughs) Quite dirty. Some worse than others. (laughs) I won't go into those details, but I think you know what I mean. (laughs) And yet, We are called to wash one another's feet. We are called to serve one another. We are called to take a posture of service towards one another in the kingdom of God. So it doesn't just relate, obviously it finds its expression, especially on a pastoral level, but this is a principle that surrounds the whole church in which we are to love and to serve one another. And this was what makes the body function and edify itself in love. And this is how it works. You see, humility is the key to participating. Service is the key to participating. Love is the the key to participating. And that's why James tells us over, you know, do away with pride, do away with self-conceit, do away with selfish ambition, do away with envy, do away with jealousy, because these things are of the flesh and they are destructive to the Spirit of God, to what God is working to accomplish in our midst and amongst us and these things are are poison, are cancer to the body, aren't they? And yet, they're in every church. This struggle is is for human nature and this is why you can never find the perfect church because it doesn't exist, amen? Because when we come in here, we we are exactly like the Bible portrays and we have to learn to love. We have to learn and we've all learned some hard lessons in life. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed or said things maybe we shouldn't have said, done things we shouldn't have done and through our failure uh, and yet God still loves us and God helps us and teaches us and, and all of a sudden over the longevity of years we are being changed. We're being softened. We're being moulded. You see, there is a wisdom that's from hell, James says, it's earthly, sensual and it's demonic. You know, the house of God can really have some Demonic activity, if you want to put it that way. If we're walking according to the flesh and living according to the flesh, we can quench the Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, where, and where we lack these, 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 these um, uh, principles of the kingdom of God, uh, we, 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 um, uh, we grieve and quench the Spirit of God in his ability and we limit him. 
We limit him. We limit the Holy One of Israel. And so there's one last point that I just want to make as we conclude this. And I think it's important for us to understand because in light of who we are and what we are like and our nature, and God is working, but there are some things that can really help us to be all that God wants us to be, to serve in the manner that God would expect us to serve, to take the form of ourselves as a bondservant, to take that place, even if it require being obedient to the point of the cross. And it's found in verse 3 of chapter 13, where the Bible says these words, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going to God. You see, the thing with Jesus, being God, son of man, son of God, we know that he didn't have insecurities. He didn't have a com- you know, they, the, the modern psycho to inferiority complexes. But, but insecurities is a fair assessment because human nature can be realities. And so, because of who we are, because of our complexities, because of all that we're, we are, we... This is, you know, the, the body struggles at times as we are being all individually and corporately conformed to the image of Christ and learning to serve one another and walk and edify ourselves in love. But you see, one of the key factors that will enable us to, you know, be misunderstood, to be, uh, uh, to be uh, looked upon in a, maybe a way that is not correct or to take the lower place when you, maybe we know we're right or, or who knows. But whatever it is, it is this issue. It's knowing, like Jesus, he, he knew who he was. That's why he could take that place. That's why he could stoop to such a level. And when we as Christians, when we know God in a more intimate way, when we know who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ and when we are, are com- understand that we are complete in Him and who we are in Him, that empowers us by His Spirit to take that place, to, 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 to play, take that place as a bond servant, to take that place as a slave and begin to esteem others better than ourselves and begin to just love and begin to serve in the way in which God would have us to. Amen? And so, these are lessons that we need to learn. And what is interesting is Peter's life is reflective of those lessons because we find this whole encounter here centred around Peter and his experience with the Lord. And isn't it interesting, although he had, Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing, he had no understanding or concept of some of the things that we've touched upon. But you read his epistle and you see a man who understands completely what Jesus meant. And you see a man who wrote about sacrifice. And read his epistle, you find a man that understood submission. He understood suffering in its context of the Christian conduct and Christian service and of service to God. And if that was the way of the Master, then that will be my way. And he learned that lesson. And that's even why he said in um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse um, 1, he says, The elders, speaking to elders in this instance, who are among you, I exhort, I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partake of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, that's, it, that's their position, in a sense, or office if you want to call it, but not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock.
He has learned that lesson. He has lived that lesson, that life, and he has walked in the footsteps of his master. Paul the Apostle walked in the footsteps of his master. Stephen walked in the footsteps of his master. And we too, amen, must walk in the footsteps of our master. Because a servant is not greater than his master. And we will bear the sufferings of Christ. We will bear the sacrifices that are required in service in the, in the kingdom of God. That is what we are called to. That our lives will be laid down. Paul the Apostle said, Death works in me, but life works in you. That's the exchange, death and life. And when we, when, when the, uh, if we lose our life, we'll find it. Unless a grain falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But then we know it springs up. You see, this is the principles of God's kingdom, obeying us to the point of death. Self-sacrifice. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, this truth, let it, God, be sealed in our hearts. Let it, Lord, take note of this example that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, more so, Lord, let us understand what is required of us when you say the the words, the servant is not greater than his master. Let us not, Lord, walk away. Let us not, my God, uh, step aside because sometimes it gets hard and sometimes it hurts. But let us, Lord, continue to give through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us, Lord, continue to serve and love one another as you have loved us. Father, I pray, bless your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.